This is Urban Tiger Radio, a project supported by CybermouseMultimedia.com, sponsors of our free weekly podcasts. Search for Urban Tiger Radio in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher.com and hit the subscribe button to receive free automatic downloads. Please remember to share and rate our show before you leave. This week's episode is A Song for Norman. This is a darkly comedic science fiction stroke fantasy story that gave me a good excuse for a lot of linguistic gymnastics, as you will hear. The story itself came from a photograph I took of a church organ that had hundreds of different stops, all of which had strange-sounding, beautiful names that you could only ascribe a sound to. From this photograph came this story, A Song for Norman. The Prow of the Boat bit deep into the mud beside the jetty, where dark, heavy hands made it fast. Connie, suffused with the languor of the tropical heat, reached idly over the gunwale to pluck at a hollow twig sticking up from the riverbed. It wouldn't move. Then, surprisingly, his questioning fingers found regular indentations along one side. This time he wrapped his hand firmly around it and pulled. As it came free... It brought with it a human skull. The twig held tightly between its clenched teeth. Connie dropped it in alarm into the bottom of the boat, then, with curiosity slowly overcoming his initial surprise, he sat for a moment, admiring the smile. Lifting it gingerly by the twig, he dipped it back into the river to clean it. As the mud washed away, the jaw snapped open, and Connie watched as the skull grinned its way deeper and deeper, until at last it disappeared beneath the darkly flowing waters. Rinsing some of the mud from the twig, he turned it over in his hands. It was tubular, and about as long as his forearm. The indentations he'd felt were now seen to be holes, evenly spaced along the stem, and near one end a notch was carved at an oblique angle. On the other side from the holes were a few unrecognisable cryptic symbols, He put it to his lips to blow out the last of the mud. As his breath hissed from the tube, the fish around the boat fed unnoticed in a silent secret frenzy as every insect within fifty yards dropped like a stone to the water. Constantine Williams, musician and composer extraordinaire, was out searching for his destiny while cruising the Amazon upper reaches for that divine muse, inspiration. So far, he'd found only rubber leeches, vines, bad news and perspiration. As the boat chugged back out to midstream, he listened irritably to Fliver, who, having spent last night in the arms of the thuggish riverboat captain, began to vocalise the throes of her fourth orgasm that afternoon. He tried to console himself with the thought that this was just another self-exploratory phase she was going through and discovered in the process that there were limits to even his capacity for self-delusion. As she was building to her fifth, he placed the flute, which it now so obviously was, to his lips. He lifted his head and out of frustration blew a single unadulterated note. It ripped the air with a squawk, but no ordinary squawk. It filled his heart with all the wonder of life in the treetops, the freedom of the wind and sunlight, the joy of finding the soft centre of the hardest of nuts, and an undeniable sensation 
of the intense pleasure to be found in washing dust mites from beneath an itchy wing. As it died away, three parakeets, wings folded, hit the water beside the boat and sank from sight. Connie watched the ripples, waiting vainly for them to surface as the boat ploughed on. He studied the dark waters swirling behind them where the prop wash churned it into eddies and whirls like the arms of a mad conductor. He blew a note for the water, a salute to its turbulence. The note streamed from the flute, flat, then sharp, rounded, silvery, darting, basking, then frenzied and ravenous. It reminded him of Fliver. He turned his back and retreated to the shade of the deck awning. Behind him, a hundred different species of fish floated silvery and belly up in the receding wake. Connie showed the fluke to the native guide who wiped the mouthpiece on his loincloth then read the markings. It's a play song for no man. Ah, thought Connie, with ears more attuned to the mewling sounds of delight emanating from the thin cabin walls behind him. A song for Norman. Good title. The guide ran his fingers once more along the symbols. It's a play not alone. He handed it back to Connie as though it were red hot. Juju, he said. Sorry, what? asked Connie, listening to the orchestra pit as it warmed up in preparation for the sixth orgasm. Juju, said the guide. Bad karma. He held out his shaking hand. Fifty dollar. Fifty dollar? shrieked Connie. For translation? For remedial counselling, said the guide. He nodded in the direction of the crew room. Analyst not free like wife. Connie pushed his fingers in his ears and retreated to the dark womb of the cabin. For safekeeping, he taped the flute to the clarinet in his luggage and slid the box under the bunk. He lay down and tried to sleep while Fliver's heels drummed the other side of the bulkhead behind him. After a while, he gave up and took out the clarinet. He leaned on the deck rail and played to the jungle. He played like no man before. He listened to himself in amazement as the notes soared, climbed, slithered, ran, stalked, grunted and screeched as though the clarinet were a thing alive. Whole octaves rang and soared. Rules were made, broken then remade while the music pulsed to a single beat as though life itself were pounding the drum. Along the riverbank, a swathe of death followed unseen in their wake. Reptiles relinquished their rectal grip. Bright-plumed birds battled blindly from the blue and sibilant suspended snakes shuffled off their mortal coils. Connie scribbled down the notes that he could remember and hastily etched at the top of a new page. A song for Norman. The organ was four years in the building during which time Connie had been hailed as the world's greatest living composer. His recordings had sold by the zillion. He'd made fortunes, lost them in lawsuits to stockyards, farmers and the local zoo. He remade his fortunes, then had them seized and savaged by animal rights and welfare groups through the courts, and still it seemed that the world couldn't get enough of Constantine Williams. Connie spent every penny he'd accumulated on the organ, it was assembled on the top of a large hill overlooking a plain that swept uninterrupted to the sea some twenty miles away. The hill and the plain had been divided into huge sections, hundreds of yards across. Some of these were filled with water glinting hypnotically in the sun, while others were dark, and the earth within them was raw and dank. Still others glittered green with grass, 
beside vast areas contained within nets and mesh. The organ itself rose high above the landscape. The bass pipes reached up into the sky, huge as cooling towers, their red warning lights flicking the clouds. The high notes, shorter only by comparison, burst the air like tower blocks beside them. At the base of it all, covered by a tarpaulin, was an old harmonium and stool. Taped to the keyboard was a strange wooden flute. For this single performance, broadcast simultaneously around the world and to which he owned first and all subsequent rights, video walls had been built in every city, park and village. But for the moment, the organ sat silent, waiting for the power that was Constantine Williams. The night before the performance, the entire plane was a flicker with the headlights of lorries. By morning, the land had been filled from hill to sea, and the air now rang to a vast cacophony of animal voices. They blended into a single fluting trumpet of sound that carried up the hill to where Connie sat, waiting for the clock. At ten, precisely, with Fliver beside him, he turned the key to start the massive engines that would power the organ. As the roar subsided into a distant, earth-shattering rumble, he played one single note. It trembled querulously on the air, and a hush descended across the valley. Connie smiled into the lens. He switched on the electric candelabra and leaned into the mic, his voice hushed with great moment. A song for Norman, he said. Connie's fingers flexed above the stops. With the engines now warm, he pushed back mixture and selected Vox Angelis. He played a chord in the first pen. A thousand chickens on full throttle gave up their souls. He took the chord, disseminated it with lightning fingers, built it back note by note into a crescendo of fluting throats plucked heavenwards. Hatched by the organ, the wave ranged freely along the valley, egged on by Connie's music. Across the oceans, death breasted the wave as it winged from Kent to Kentucky. The note deepened as a second leg nosed around Turkey, then sped onwards from Buna to Madras. Note by note, poultry raised, then lay where they fell. First by the thousand, then by the million. But Connie wasn't counting. His fingers hovered over the stops, and in the sudden silence he heard a familiar noise. He turned and found that Fliver was gone. Beneath his feet there loomed the open mouth of the cable tunnel that ran from the organ to the engines under the pipes. In the pale fluorescent light he could see the soles of Fliver's white stilettos waving apart in the air. Between them the soft rounded shape of a technician moved silently and rapidly. He wrenched open Grand Org as Fliver embarked on the first of her many choruses. Connie's fingers plummeted the keys. Vox jubilante fell beneath his fevered touch, and pigs girded their loins to vault en masse as he tore out their souls in a belly roll that chopped from Frankfurt to Chile. Stripped clean by notes, both sweet and sour, not a rib was spared. The organ pipes crackled them up into the sage morning sky, while beneath his feet Fliver was hamming her third orgasm. 
Connie's fingers flew across the keyboard like those of a man possessed. The world swayed in disbelief as it listened. Stops rattled frantically in and out. Under Maris and Salmon rivered a last glorious leap into a tangible silvered silence. Vlagiole and in one vast violent whinny, the horses galloped off into extinction. Connie looked down, Fliver's face appearing suddenly between his feet as a technician took her from behind. The sight of her shock transforming itself into a smile pounded his fist down the length of keys with a renewed passion. Milk flowed across the land, blending with honey as Bourdon stung the bees from all manner of existence, and cows lost their bottle to horn diapason. From below the organ, Fliver's throat poured a rattling obeisance to the one and only thing that fulfilled her existence. Her lips mouthed such words as Connie could only ever dream of hearing her say. His fingers struck once more as Bombard roared the bulls into a nasal ring cycle gelded on the higher notes, their rare stake in this existence soon over. Still Connie pounded on, while beneath his feet Fliver built and screamed, built and screamed again, the orgasms arriving with increasing fervour and frequency. Clarion tore the sky with the sound of eagles, and still he pounded. His hands clawed at tromba, and elephants fell like grey, petrified forests. Hippopotami boomed from the waters, echoing their subsonic untersatz gape like vast grey orchids of sound, while giraffes piccoloed high above them, and wails sang in showering carillion discant as hyenas howled to hysterical harmonics. Stops fell beneath the fury of Connie's hands and were wrenched open as the organ sucked living animal souls from around the world and hurled them through the vast battery of pipes into oblivion. His fertile, feverish fingers twisted glorious, glottal grotesqueries of crotchets, chords and quavers until one final stop remained. The noise from the organ died suddenly away. Around it the world had become a silent abattoir. Animal corpses lay wherever any man could see. On the video screens Connie sat silent and shaking. Deep as the hole beneath his feet, Fliver became an orgasm. Her whole existence shrilled at once to the continuous pounding of an organ. She piped her soul through lips tortured into leering, lascivious shapes, the sight of which Connie knew would torment him forever. Her look of ultimate satisfaction chilled his brain and steadied his feverish hands. In a single moment of great calm and solemnity, he raised one hand above a familiar chord while the fingers of the other snicked open. Vox Humana. Well, that's all for this week's show, folks. I hope you enjoyed your free podcast from Urban Tiger Radio. And if you've hit that subscribe button, you'll be hearing from us again in a week's time. So it's a goodbye from me and a... <coughs> from Nelly. Goodbye. <coughs>